This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. This is episode 21 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. Hey, Poobah, what do you want JP to bring you back from Korea? You know, about the only thing I know about Korea, of course, is that my favorite TV show of all time was about the uh, Korean War. And uh, I do like Korean barbecue, specifically Korean fried chicken. So, JP, whatever you want to bring me back, I would appreciate. Who, who told, How did you know about Korean fried chicken? I, didn't, I wasn't expecting you to be that eclectic of a palette over there. John, you told me. I know. I know. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be fun, man. Going to Seoul. Uh, I'll bring you back some kimchi. Um, and I may run into uh, BTS, not not back to school, but the other one. <laughs> hey, for our listeners that uh, aren't uh, over the age of 30, Neil, uh, I, I assume you were talking about MASH. I was. I had no idea what he was talking about. I figured, I, I, I figured as much. Hey, on this podcast, we're going to recap the uh, Sport and Fitness Industry Association's Industry Leader Summit. We're going to talk about Ed Stack at Dick's, who dunked on who, the NBA or China, Foot Locker is becoming a VC, the Piper Jaffrey survey is out, and uh, Neil, tell the listeners about our guest. Yeah, we spoke with Taylor Host. Uh, Taylor is the CEO of a really innovative startup called Miro AI. Um, if you want to look at them, by the way, it's uh, Miro.io is their website. But they are combining computer vision and artificial intelligence to be able to create a service that um, will allow brands and event um, event holders to be able to do uh, counts of exactly what people are wearing in terms of footwear, apparel, and equipment. You know, in the old days, people sat in the stands or, you know, went to an event with clipboards and they were writing things down. Well, now Miro's come up with a better mousetrap in order to accomplish that same goal. And it's terrific technology. And Taylor has a lot to say for sure. That's great. And actually, it's a good segue into talking about ILS because not only was Taylor there, uh, so was Neil, so was I. And of course, JP was running the show. So JP, why don't we start with you? Tell the listeners a little bit about ILS, but also uh, uh, your your impression of how things went down. Yeah. Yeah, guys. So we hosted, uh, this was the sixth, seventh annual industry leader summit. Uh, for those, I don't know, it's a collection of 250, you know, decision makers or so in, in the industry, uh, two day conference. And we, we had our, uh, fourth annual startup challenge, which, which went off really, really well. I thought, um, had some awesome companies and obviously, uh, we saw Miro take home the gold, uh, that night. But we also, you know, saw uh, some awesome presentations from some up and coming brands uh, like the CEOs of Noble and Hydro and uh, Everybody Fights uh, spoke. And then we also had bigger companies come in like uh, the chairman of Topgolf and Lululemon and, and some others to come talk about what's really, you know, going on out there in terms of uh, innovating and, and, you know, everyone's favorite term disrupting uh, the game i guess if you're top golf so, so it was uh interesting i didn't realize how much of a media company top golf is if you guys uh pick that up but um you guys have been before what did you think this year baltimore 
four seasons. And and I guess let's start. Maybe Neil, did you make it to the Under Armour kickoff we did with with uh, Lauren Hamlin's team? I did. I went to the uh, Under Armour Innovation Center, <clears throat> saw what they had going on in terms of you know what they're trying to do um, in terms of innovating with new fabrics, new materials, new designs. Um, so they're really doing a lot there. Hey, I just want to take a quick second to um, let everyone know that the, the ILS was really um, an invention of John. Um, John really brought the ILS to the um, SFIA. Um, it was an, an incre- it's been an incredible event, as he said. Uh, Miro won um, won it this year, the startup challenge. But John, got to give you kudos. Um, you know, the ILS event was a great event, but you really injected a lot of energy with the startup challenge. And I just hope that you know your uh, successor, um, you know, takes it up with the same vim, vigor, and enthusiasm that you did. So, kudos, John. And it was a great event. Um, you know, back in Baltimore, uh, where where it all started. So I thought uh, that was a great move. Uh, Baltimore's a great city. Oh well, thanks, Neil. I think uh, most people would 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 tell you that a um, lot of lot of lot of moving parts. Definitely a lot of people helping out and building that franchise over the years. Uh, so it, it it it's a it's a it's a great event. I would just like to say thank you for letting me crash. It was the four seasons. The lobster biscuit lunch was fantastic. <laughs> um, but but all the other things that you guys mentioned and, you know, our friend of the podcast, David Kinise, you know, did a great panel with, uh, you know, a lot of those founders that I think a lot of the the big established brands are, are looking to for inspiration. And uh, I found that uh, to, to be a really great segment, as, as many others were. And I think when you get to our interview with uh, Taylor Host, you'll just see the next generation of uh, of you know, where sport and technology are, are meeting and, and what that's going to mean for a lot of these established brands and also these up and coming brands and being able to understand, you know, the marketplace they're trying to, uh, to penetrate. Why don't we get to, uh, Ed Stack, Neil, you, uh, you, you, you were right there in the middle of, uh, talking about him and apparently, uh, broke, uh, broke the internet there on LinkedIn. Yeah. I kind of drew a lot of, uh, got a lot of flack, both positive, I guess flack would be negative, but, um, you know, it was reported this week that uh, Ed Stack, and of course, he is the CEO of Dick Sporting Goods. Um, they have destroyed approximately five million dollars worth of rifles, specifically um, assault style rifles, AR, AK platform style rifles. And uh, you know, Ed has taken a stance here um, that he felt morally that he had to, you know. Do what he could. Do something. Um, you know, I've said before that uh, perfection is the enemy of done. Um, Ed did something, and uh, I commend him for it. Um, you know, some say it's a little bit self-serving as it's right around um, his book release, um, which I have not read yet. I don't know if any of you guys have gotten it, or but uh, I'm going to try to pick it up. And uh, because I, I do believe that Ed Stack um, really, you know, led with his uh, mind in this case and uh, and his heart. And uh, I do know Ed. I've met him in a number of meetings. And, uh, you know, I felt, you know, that Ed was doing the right thing all along by stopping selling these type of weapons as well as some of the uh, accessories like the extended magazines and things like that. Uh, sorry, I, I'm just – Neil, this is uh... – this is crazy. I'm reading your uh, your LinkedIn. It it blew up, man. I post a picture of me and you can't even get a a freaking like and you guys got so many people. This is so interesting because um 
man, this issue really gets people gets people out of their chair. This is uh sorry, I didn't know that you posted this. This is crazy. I mean, you know, people even went to the Second Amendment and they went, you know, and they always, you know, for some reason or another, this always goes back to the Second Amendment. And, you know, like like everything else in our Constitution, it's not an absolute right. And, um, you know, and, and our and obviously our forefathers and, and, and the authors of the Constitution had no idea, you know, what types of weapons would be available, you know, 200 odd, 200 and some years later. And, uh, you know, clearly. You know, in my opinion, these weapons don't belong in the hands of the general public. And I think the fact that, you know, all of these mass shootings, the one thing they've had mostly in common has been that style of rifle. So take the first step, you know, and I think Ed did that. And yes, my LinkedIn blew up. Man, that's that's crazy. Well, I'll, I'll keep the uh, my own political beliefs out of it. Not that I disagree with you necessarily. I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh an industry CEO about this and they, they thought it was, um, uh, super, you know, uh, revenue driven. And it was a great business move because it really plays to the heart of, of the customer. And I, I don't know that I agree with that. And in fact, um, you know, I think he said they lost a quarter of a billion in sales or Mike, maybe that's what you had told me when we're getting ready for this, uh, podcast. And, um, I, you know, gotta, you gotta commend the guy. I think he made the right call and, um, you know, I think his quote that I read somewhere was if it, if it just saves one life, it's, it's, it's more than worth it. So I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I gotta, you know, you, you take a stand and, and people, people respect it. So, well, and I think that was what we were talking about before we, you know, started to record this podcast was, uh, I had actually gone into a Dick Sporting Goods to buy some golf balls, came out to the car and, you know, on the radio was, uh, uh, Ed Stack being interviewed, um, on NPR and he was talking about, you know, the, the conflict with, you know, the board, his fiduciary responsibility, but what had so personally moved him was the fact that the Parkland shooter had bought a shotgun a month before the actual, you know, that wasn't used, but had actually been able to buy that, you know, uh, weapon there. So I, I think in many ways it's it's like everyone's going to you know a, accuse somebody of uh, you know having ulterior motives, but you know look at Nike and Colin Kaepernick, and and I think that you know there's there's certain times where you're going to be on the right side of history, and you know if you want your place of business to be a safe place, then you know how can you how can you ensure that if you know you're selling firearms, you can't. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Before we started the show, we were talking about it and we did have an exchange about it. And John talked about um, that there's a number of organizations that work with, you know, companies about, you know, on corporate governance and, and things like that. And, you know, John mentioned that, you know, making moral decisions that are, you know, better f- and do something for the greater good, you know, are becoming more and more a part of, you know, a company or a CEO's fiduciary responsibilities. However, I would also like to say, Mike, you buried the lead. You went out to play golf. I mean, uh, come on. In the, what, eight years or however many years I've known you, this is like a first that I've heard you went out and played golf. I, I, you know, a couple times a year, a couple times a year. That That's it. Speaking of something that I enjoy most, basketball, why don't we move on to uh, the uh, the NBA in China and uh, I was just looking at something in the Washington Post, and I thought this was a great quote from Adam Silver uh, to kind of set this up. But his quote is, it's inevitable that people around the world, including from America and China, 
will have different viewpoints over different issues, Silver said in a statement Tuesday. It is not the role of the NBA to adjudicate those differences. However, the NBA will not put itself in a position of regulating what players, employees, and team owners say or will not say on these issues. We simply could not operate that way. What do you guys think? JP, you want me to take that one? Yeah, go for it. Well, just to refresh our listeners in case they're not up on the story, uh, the general manager of the Houston Rockets uh, came out um, with a tweet, I guess, uh, last week, last Thursday or Friday, in support of the uh, protesters in Hong Kong. And, of course, the protesters in Hong Kong are – it's been an ongoing matter. Uh, It's been a little bit of a black eye for China. Um, and it's been about, you know, democracy versus the Chinese system. And, and it created a lot of controversy because over 10% of the NBA's, let's say, revenue comes out of China. And it really created a firestorm, uh, you know, in terms of the NBA. And by the way, I think that Adam Silver's response is 100% appropriate. Um, you know, I think we live in a, in a, in a world now where, you have to be careful about everything you say and everything you talk about. And, you know, he expressed uh, the general manager, Houston Rockets, expressed his opinion. And, um, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it, but it has created a lot of controversy. I mean, brands, you know, like Anta and Li Ning now are talking about severing their ties with the NBA and Chinese television is reducing the number of games that they're showing on Chinese TV and, you know, it, it again, it's, you know, it's created this uh, giant firestorm or in some cases dumpster fire really out of nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, I was, I was really happy to see Adam Silver, the commissioner, um, uh, almost re- like flip flop reverse course. I think right when Maury, the general manager of the Rockets, sent out the tweet, they, you know, he took it down, apologized, and I thought it was going to be a hush hush type of thing. And then, you know, got to give Adam Silver a lot of credit. The NBA, you know, typically is um, the, the known as to be the the leader in, in a lot of uh, regards for social issues. And and he came out and said, you know, our players, our league believes in freedom of speech. And uh, obviously, Ch- China wasn't too happy with that. Uh, you know, right away, you saw Tencent, the probably the largest streaming company in China, dropped the NBA games. Um, you know, you saw a lot of uh, NBA posters being taken down across the, the cities, and uh, I just think this is this is not um, going to be over, you know, anytime soon. I, I think uh, what's interesting is they have a, I think the Alibaba co-founder, I forget his name, he owns the Brooklyn Nets, and so Jack Ma, no, yeah, no, it's the other guy, yeah, it's just something Sai, Joe Sai, I think. Anyway. Um, so, so he's an owner and then, you know, you have Yao Ming, a former Houston Rockets player, who's the head of the Chinese basketball association who came out and spoke, you know, down on this. I I just think it's messy and and not going to be solved anytime soon. But, um, you know, what was crazy is last night we had, I don't, Mike, I don't know if you, you realize, but one of the Chinese national teams were here playing against the wizards in the capital one arena and they still had the game. Can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. (laughs) I think this is the globalism that the the Trump administration is railing against. So let's uh, let's move on to uh, Foot Locker being political shot from Gugat. Oh man! Well, <laughs> there could be many. Um, so Neil, you did such an excellent job setting up that last story. Uh, tell the listeners about Foot Locker uh, becoming a a venture capital uh, group. 
Yeah, I think this is a really interesting story from the standpoint that I guess, you know, they feel, I guess, if you can't beat the, beat them, join them, or if you can't beat them, try to direct them. And um, Foot Locker has jumped on board with a number of um, new business um, ventures, as well as some existing uh, business ventures to, uh, you know, really try to kind of, you know, enhance or upgrade their position. And, uh, you know, we've talked about retail, you know, at least 100 times on this show, probably more. And, uh, you know, Foot Locker is recognizing that we're in a different retail environment. And they're also recognizing that we're in a different cultural environment. And um, I, I believe this is a great way for them to kind of make sure that they've got their hands in a lot of these pots. And John, I know you're a you know, you work with a lot of these uh, VC and, and private equity guys and even angel investors. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think on paper, it makes a ton of sense. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I've helped advise and form and whatever, start some, some of these accelerators and been a part of them on the early stage and early days of these accelerators. And I've seen a lot of sports and fitness technology, whatever accelerators. And, and I just, um, my, my general observa- observation is they always sound great on paper but they're very hard to execute and actually get stuff done and operate against. And so, you know, I'm not sold on that. I, I, again, I think the idea is great, but I'm not really sold on the actual ex- execution of it. I mean, you know, they've made a bunch of investments. I think Goat was one of them, um, some some uh, other startups, super heroic, et cetera. And that, that all makes sense. I think Carbon 38 was another one, um, you know, but when I read, uh, uh, 70% or so of their product came just from Nike last year. Uh, they're clearly trying to diversify. What does that do for their biggest vendor in that relationship? Um, and again, they're publicly traded. And I just think a lot of these companies uh, really struggle to prioritize that against Wall Street earnings per share expectations. And so I, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm going to wait to to see what happens here in the next year or so with this thing. What's interesting, uh, John, is that you're right. I mean, you know, in any given quarter, Nike makes up, and that's a combination, of course, of Nike, Jordan, and Converse, but it makes up uh, anywhere from like 65 to 70% of Foot Locker's total sales or total revenue. But, you know, Foot Locker has long recognized that they really need to, you know, strengthen or they really need to ensure that that other 30% you know, continues to be strong, provides good competition, provides good diversity in terms of merchandising, you know, for the consumer. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways this does make sense, but I also think you're right in that, you know, it's not always easy for some of these uh, brands or innovative companies to execute, you know, against these plans. So I guess it's going to be interesting to kind of, you know, keep an eye on some of these things. There's too much agreement and there's too much of Neil saying John is right. So I'm going to move this subject for or move the the, the show on to something that may uh, uh, create some uh, tension. But California has, uh, is paving the way for uh, college athletes uh, to be paid. And so the question is, is what SEC athletes are already being paid under the table, you know, versus California being able to have it regulated you know, will the SEC still dominate the Pac-12? Go. <laughs> That's funny. John and I are both SEC fans. The, well, I think they're going to dominate both on the field and on the tailgating side of things after coming from the Grove last weekend at Ole Miss. But that's a different story. Uh, I, I did see this. I think you know California usually is the first to do anything um, bold like this. 
uh, I think it's a long time coming. And, you know, I just always think back to the NCAA when, when they uh, suspended a Minnesota, he was a Minnesota gopher and he's a wrestler. And uh, I think he had a YouTube account or he was selling CDs or something. He was like, you know, an aspiring artist and they shut it down because he made like 50 bucks from his name. I, j- I just think that's the exact opposite of what, you know, this country and, you know, education stands for. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see the antiquated NCAA uh, try to play catch up here because I think that uh, it, it's, it's, it's headed for a, a, a big, big battle uh, for, for these students, these kids. I, uh, I have a friend who actually did a lot of consulting um, with the NCAA and actually I I won't say her name, but I would like to have her on our podcast at some point because, you know, we we have talked about this topic extensively and uh, I think in her heart and I think also in her brain, she knows that, you know, the NCAA is going to have to come to some sort of, you know, major change in their policy here because, you know, number one, just like, you know, Mike said, you know, California, you know, they're going to be able to pay their student athletes. You know, there's, he made a, took a shot at the SEC about paying their athletes under the table. And I'm sure there is a lot of that that's going on, but, you know, will it create some sort of imbalance um, in both, you know, college football? <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, I took that, sh- I took that shot because I went to SMU, the only school to ever get the death penalty. And now that we're undefeated in football again, my father is predicting that, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's gotta be something, uh, you know, uh, awry there. Hey, let's, uh, let's wrap up on this, Neil. What, uh, something surprised you in the, uh, the Piper Jaffrey survey? Well, there was actually one little data point that surprised me. And that was that they, it's showing a resurgence um, for the Under Armour brand among Gen Z consumers or younger consumers. I find that kind of interesting. Um, not sure if it's real because, you know, you've got to be able to look at some trends. They have been trending negative, but now they're trending positive. It's a big deal. What do you think, JP? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it kind of is in line with, um, you know, with everything – I'm seeing all the data points in terms of in terms of a, a, a turnaround or a stabling out, if you will, of North America for for that brand Under Armour, and I, th- I think you know they'll they'll figure figure it out. Um, you know, it, it, I, I thought nothing to do with the industry. I, I thought it was interesting. The the thing I took away from it was so th- so they interview 9,500 teens, I think an average age of 15 or something, uh, for our listeners, and um, the the 32% a third of all of them. Saw, saw, said that the economy was getting worse, uh, and and that's higher than I think it's ever been. Uh, you know, the, this I, this pessimism around everything and everyone, this uncertainty with with the economy, I think uh, will be interesting to watch going into the holiday uh, season. Well, guys, I think uh, we've had a lot of lively discussion today, and you know what? There's about five more topics on the list, but I think we need to get to our interview with uh, Taylor Host, um, the CEO of Miro. And uh, it's a lively conversation. And, uh, you know, tune in, stay, stay tuned and listen to what Taylor has to say um, at kind of the convergence between computer technology and sport. Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. We're really pleased to welcome Taylor Host uh, to the podcast today. Taylor, welcome. Hey, how are you guys? Really great to be here. 
Hey, Taylor, before we get into talking about your background and what you're doing at Miro uh, AI, I, you know, you, you've told us that you are a fan of the podcast. So uh, I want to thank you for being a loyal listener and uh, keep on listening. I'd imagine there's quite a few of us out there. Um, you guys have been at this now for a little while and, and uh, uh, certainly made a name for yourself. And I don't want to put too much rose on your cheeks, but um, you do have me on here. So that's a big setback. Um, uh, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of your guests in the, in, in the recent past have had very detailed Wikipedia pages. And so I appreciate you giving back to the ecosystem here and having a lowly startup like ours on. Well, but we, was, Neil, I got to jump in now. So we appreciate that modesty and, uh, and uh, you know, Neil, thank you for being shameless and uh, I'll let you guys uh, go. But just to remind you, this is not Pod Save America. So if you had other <laughs> you know, delusions of grandeur, this is, uh, you know, a bunch of knuckleheads. That's what well, we are. Uh, you know, you guys, you guys do have a special flavor and I appreciate the fact that you clearly seem to like spending time with each other. I think that's important. Uh, uh, my, my founding team is very similar. So we, we all work together and uh, uh, we give each other a few ribs here and there. And we actually do. This whole podcast was born out of three guys who really were friends and uh, also shared the same industry, shared a lot of the same ideas. But Taylor, you know, what we like to do um, up front is to, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what are those things that le- brought you kind of to this point, um, you know, with Miro? Sure. Uh, well, you know, we're a sports tech company, so I, I, I kind of have to just address sports and then tech. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nearing 40, so I'm getting to that point in my life where I should probably go and do something. So uh, what I did is I, I left a career um, that was mostly software. Um, so I was a programmer for uh, many years and a project manager, and I, I worked my way up to be leading um, innovation initiatives. Uh, I worked in the McDonald's system, both at McDonald's, but then also their close-in suppliers. Uh, that moved me out to Asia, where I got to build a team um, delivering uh, computer vision and AI-driven solutions for, for high-traffic retail, specifically Big Macs in the McDonald's environment. And we built some really cool stuff. Um, uh, and, uh, we wanted to do computer vision full time. So, uh, I, I asked my technology lead on the team, Jamie, who's our CTO and co-founder, um, uh, as well as, uh, the business lead on our innovation team, uh, Evan Croft, uh, who's our COO. Um, and, uh, you know, we're off to the races. And so we, we do have five of us from that original team and, and, uh, we're all nerds who love sports. So, you know, Taylor- that's the back half of it. Taylor, can you explain exactly what Miro um, is doing? Um, you've used the term computer vision and AI, and some of our listeners may not be familiar with the, either one of those terms or one of them. So why don't you kind of put that together for us a little bit? Sure, sure. I'm, I'm a bad teacher, but I'll give it a shot, Neil. Um, you know, you guys have had some, some, some pretty succinct explanations on here, so I'll try to keep it very succinct. Um, computer vision is really uh, the programmer's task of teaching computers how to see. And so much like our two eyes give us a, you know, an idea of what's around us, um, computers now have cameras attached to them, whether it's your mobile phone or uh, you know, your Tesla driving down the street, and they need to have logic in them that can process those imagery, whether it's to, to you know, avoid a car accident um, or uh, to analyze a human being. Um, so who's t- who's sitting in front of me? 
how many people are sitting in front of me. Uh, these are all actually very difficult tasks that are captured and, and you know, solved through computer vision. Why did you pick running and specifically uh, races as uh, kind of your place to start? Well, two reasons. Um, number one, uh, it's a passion area for our CTO, Jamie. Um, uh, it should be a passion area for, for me and Evan as well, because uh, we both are, are rocking the startup belly these days. Um, I did run my first 5K uh, because of the company, and I've run uh, since then as well. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, so it's a passion area for Jamie, our CTO. He's been running his entire life. He flies around Asia and runs half marathons, uh, 10Ks, 5Ks. Um, he's also a cyclist. But then the second reason is data. Um, so Dr. Data, Neil, uh, as a listener of the show, you, you, you're working on that brand. Let me give it, give it some love. Um, the data at a running race is second to none in the sports world. Um, you know, where else are you going to get 60,000 plus people in one spot on one day competing, you know, competing and, and, and really wearing their gear in the case of sporting goods, wearing their own personal gear, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, branded or it's their own colors, um, but then also uh, uh, competing with themselves, but the others around them. Uh, you know, it's mass participation where there's an amazing amount of data that's happening. And so for AI nerds, data is our food. And so uh, you know, it, it seemed like an, a very important and special place to be able to start an AI business that wants to eat a lot of data. Taylor, you and I have talked about this on our previous conversations, but where do you think the company Miro can go next um, with its AI and computer vision technology in terms of activities, sports, things like that? Well, we're always interested to hear others' opinions, and you guys, you know this industry, and so I, I would love to get a little value out of you uh, in terms of where you think we could take these um, uh, or, or our specific tech. But our next step is already plotted out as baseball, my favorite sport. Um, uh, baseball, why? Well, there's the passion play. That's for me, uh, as well as Evan. He grew up in playing Little League. Um, uh, baseball's been been a big part of my life since since day zero. Um, but then the second reason, again, is data and diversity of data. Um, so we wanted to move into team sports and meaningfully do so. We've developed an expertise at analyzing the human body that I believe is, is second to none today in the sports tech space. Um, we have our own uh, proprietary models and way that we look at the human body in motion. And it's chaotic. It's messy. Um, baseball has a set of um, repeatable uh, poses, such as batting, throwing, fielding, um, uh, sitting down in the dugout as well, which I did a lot of in college. Um, uh, and uh, that allows you to have some normalcy to the data. And uh, it gives you the opportunity to dive into the details a lot quicker versus a sport like basketball or um, volleyball even, uh, where the range of motion and the range of poses is, is actually um, you know, quite broad. So um, we're excited about baseball as our next step. I, you know, I do think there's going to be a lot of application in team sports. So, I, you know, I agree with you because we have had some conversations about this. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit, Taylor. I want to shift gears and move into what it's like to be a startup 
um, in 2019. I mean, congratulations. You guys had a big win at the recent uh, Sports and Fitness Industry Association Startup Challenge that took place last week in Baltimore. But I know you've also had some other big wins. Um, you had a big win at South by Southwest. I know that you participated at Sports Tech um, Tokyo. So I know you guys have really, um, you know, been able to get out there. But what? Tell us a little bit about life in the startup lane and and how these events have really helped, uh, you know, help bring things along. Well, you guys have had uh, a, a few great startups on here, and uh, you know, uh, we'll talk in a year and find out if you had another one and, and having us on. I think that the startup world. Um, it, it, it's it's often put into a, a little bit of a box as this thing that's separate from the corporates and from the investors and it's this its own little entity. But we all have things in common. I think in the startup world, um, uh, we have some of the same worries as the corporates. Um, I got to be looking over my shoulder. I got to see where uh, other companies' tech is going. And I think that one of the important things about sports tech right now, and you mentioned sports tech Tokyo, is a very good example. The sports tech is is blossoming, um, and it's not just about online gambling, you know, DraftKings and things like that. I, we're, we're starting to see a variety of of very interesting startups move into uh, sports as their focus, and also capital. Um, you guys had KB Partners on; they're one of the OGs in terms of sports tech. But I think that the challenges is where startups really deviate. Um, uh, I I am running a business. And uh, I forgot about that when I started the company is that, oh, I'm going to have to do operations and these sort of things. We all have to take on so many roles to make sure we keep the doors open, but then also keep it interesting and fresh. And so um, the type of uh, team members that we need to have on, uh, I can't just have a data scientist who's heads down in the keyboard and heads down even in the data. I need them thinking about the business lens as well. Uh, We are all client facing. We are all product facing. And so the flexibility uh, that's needed in your early hires, we're just 11 uh, right now. Uh, All 11 of us need to be thinking about all corners of the business. Um, So that's a unique challenge. I think that the last piece would just be sports in terms of, um, you know, capital raising. Uh, With sport as a focus, um, it's it's very difficult to um, portray a venture scale business model outside of a few outliers like sports, gambling, gaming. Um, I think esports is finding venture scale business models um, very rapidly. Uh, I'm anxious to hear more from you guys on esports here in the coming episodes. But um, uh, that is a huge challenge for any startup that is uh, seeking to be venture backed and grow on the back of that. Uh, doubly so for an AI startup that requires so many components to become useful to a buyer. And so um, uh, the struggle is real, guys, I guess is the point. And uh, we've made it uh, this far and we've developed, I think, a pretty nice catalog as well as some paying clients, which is always good. And uh, so we feel we've been successful, but um, we've got miles to go before we sleep. Taylor, I, I hear you, you know, I can hear the passion. I saw it in your your presentation. And I think when you talk about paying clients, you're talking about the value proposition of what you present. And I look back to my former life and, and you know, being and running and looking at events and how your marketing dollar was being spent and understanding, you know, you know, Adidas sponsoring the Boston Marathon and, and, you know, yet having such a low market share of, you know, in 2010 at the time in which there was such a big outlay for an event like that. So that information I can see, 
you know, being actionable and then talking about baseball, having come from a brand like Mizuno, where everything from the logo placement on a pitcher's glove versus that of the catcher's gear and how that could actually help product and design. But when you talk about the value proposition, you know, how, how do you, you know, define it? Well, there's two things to unpack from your backgrounds that I think do a good job to define value in this space. Um, so I think I need to rewind just a bit and say, we recognize the gear that athletes are using. That's, that's our job. Um, we use computer vision and AI to do so, and we do it at scale. And so, uh, you know, when, when looking at the running space and, 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 and attempting to measure, uh, give yourself that, that, that's uh, sort of here's where we stand within the elite runner, which is what happens at Boston, New York, Chicago, upcoming this next week um, uh, for a brand like Adidas. Uh, uh, you would go out there with clipboards and you would be ticking boxes. Right. And, and this is still happening today. Um, uh, that is a manual activity. You might be taking video and then plotting through the video um, uh, frame by frame. Uh, uh, that is ripe for disruption by a company uh, that's using computer vision like us. Um, it's something that we're doing today. But if you move into team sports, and you mentioned Mizuno and baseball, um, I think that there's, there's a, a lot of very interesting opportunities to use brand um, uh, uh, when it comes to content in our social age. Um, so if, if I'm the Boston Red Sox and I've got the choice between three different awesome pieces of uh, uh, image or video of J.D. Martinez, former Tiger, by the way, Detroit plug. Um, but J.D. Martinez, I got three different pictures, and one of them happens to show his Mizuno batting glove. Um, I would like to think that Mizuno would prefer if the social media manager picked the prominent Mizuno image placement, right? Um, and the ability to be making those decisions, but then create a programmatic media environment around native media in professional sport, but then also amateur sport is going to require us to know what's in the photo, what's in the video, what's prominently placed, how well placed is it? And these are, these are interesting problems that traditionally were just sponsorship problems, but I think that they're problems that, that can be solved today with the appropriate approach to media placement and then also uh, marketing calendar. And so, you know, Mizuno should have on their calendar, we're going to be doing a big push with all of our professional ball players, and we need those teams tweeting out and posting uh, video and photo that prominently shows our brand, whether it's on the feet, whether it's on the bat or on the batting gloves. Taylor, so I think that, you know, hopefully somebody from Mizuno is listening because Neil and I have talked about this a lot with JP, that one of the big struggles, you know, when you're in a category like running and then baseball or diamond sports and then golf and volleyball, you know, they, they don't necessarily complement one another, whereas a big brand like Adidas or, or Nike or Under Armour is able to really amplify that voice. You're saying you can give real-time information that says, you know, worn on field or, you know, are you going to be able to do, you know, what's in the, a golfer's bag? Uh, what's in a golfer's bag? Wow. So, so is this a setup for Neil? Should I shut up? It really is not. But I, I do think there's a lot of value because in, <laughs> so, in the years of knowing what's going on, and I'll, I would love to hear Neil's opinion on this, but that would be to me, you know, what came out of the bag beyond just it being a three iron, which three iron was it? Well, let me, let me well, just. I'm not a golfer. Yeah. 
Let me just say a couple things. You know, as a guy who's been in the sports industry for almost 20 years now, you know, we are still many ways very archaic in terms of the way we do things. Um, you know, Taylor mentioned something kind of interesting is that there are still people at events, big events, small events, youth events, who are sitting in the stands with clipboards recording what people are wearing in terms of footwear, apparel, equipment. So you name it. Um, I just spoke with uh, somebody in the tennis industry and literally they have people in the stands at Wimbledon, uh, the U.S. Open, all of their other big events recording, you know, what the players are wearing. Now, it's not about, you know, Rafa Nadal or Roger Federer. It's really about the rest of the world. And and that's really where the bigger picture is. Um, You know, in the golf world, there's something called the Daryl Survey. And the Daryl Survey is exactly what we were just describing. It's a bunch of people with clipboards who are sitting at the first tee before every major golf event. And they're literally recording, you know, what clubs the player has in his bag, what balls he's going to use to play with, you know, um, which is, you know, which most, is, is ripe to be disrupted. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and the immediacy of, you know, something like this, where then I'm sitting there watching that match and so-and-so took out a club unexpectedly or, you know, hit something that, uh, you know, what that could mean in sales come that Monday at Golf Galaxy could be huge. Well, well the amount of money that's spent to put the right club in the right player's hands is uh, quite high. So the incentives to be measuring that, how am I doing, are, um, uh, I think, you know, very, very high. I mean, in that application, it may be a little difficult and Taylor, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It might be a little bit difficult to catch, you know, the logo placement or the logo to be able to make a quick identification like you can with, let's say, footwear or even apparel. Is that is that an accurate statement, uh, Taylor? I think that, you know, hey, it's a, it's an accurate statement across the board. Um, uh, I would say that a brand mark can provide the most solid answer. Right. And uh, we are in a minimalist, uh, a minimalist uh, phase with a lot of brand mark placement, um, especially in footwear. Um, uh, I, I do think that there are certain things that uh, a company like Daryl Survey, um, which has been around since 1932 and not really changed all that much about how it <laughs> operates. There yes. are certain things that Daryl Survey does um, uh, that are, are really only possible with a clipboard in your hand and talking to the player, right? And so, uh, you know, sports marketing surveys, they do a great job uh, at this. Well, Keith Story down in Florida, down in your neck of the woods, Neil, um, uh, they're not only looking at point of sale data, which is a big data set, but then they're also having direct conversations. So primary research. Um, uh, there's, there's definitely a role that needs to be played even deeper in this particular field. What we're talking about is mass or at scale, um, as well as immediate results. And, uh, you know, Mike, you'd mentioned, uh, you know, the immediacy factor in the baseball example. I I think that, um, you know, this is, this is the power of AI is being able to give a snap decision with a confidence level and we go with it. Um, uh, in terms of running shoes though, and this is where I would deviate, you know, I do disagree just a little bit. It's, uh, the way in which the way in which you can recognize a running shoe in a chaotic state, which is, you know, in the Boston Marathon, there's not a single runner in front of that pack that's not chaotic, even in a high speed camera. And uh, uh, it's not about looking at the swoosh. It's not about looking at 
three stripes, which, you know, Adidas obviously has deviated from that quite a bit with uh, their SKUs. Um, it's actually about coming up with um, uh, newer types of AI um, and newer methods to uh, recognize, uh, micro, I guess I'd say micro features or, or small features that define a brand's entire catalog. Um, I don't know why exactly our shoe brand recognition works. But I do know how we got it there, and that's through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but then a catalog of 12 million shoes. And so we trained it with a massive amount of data and built, um, uh, you know, built a, a method for identifying gear that is not human visible. Oftentimes, we'll get an angle of a shoe um, that you yourself would not be able to say, oh, well, that's an Asics or that's a Mizuno. But our AI gets it correct. Um, and these are, these are you know, some of the magical moments that you can get out of computer vision today. It's an, it's an amazing time. We're at the beginning of a, of a, a very long track towards uh, the Terminator, I believe. Or RoboCop if I'm going to do another Detroit one. <laughs> Hey, Taylor, you know, I know you guys are headquartered in Hong Kong, and I guess the question I want to ask is, A, why Hong Kong? But I also know you're transitioning a little bit more back to the United States. Talk a little bit about, you know, why you chose Hong Kong and then why you're choosing to leave Hong Kong. Well, uh, you know, Hong Kong has been in the news a lot lately, um, uh, not for the ease of business uh, line item that traditionally drew companies to Hong Kong. Um, uh, you know, setting geopolitics aside for just one second, we chose Hong Kong because it's our home. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I moved out there in 2012. Um, I've, I've picked up a decent amount of Cantonese. Um, and uh, uh, I can say the same for Jamie, our CTO and co-founder. Uh, the rest of our team, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Hong Kong team members, but then we have uh, other Americans. We've got two Canadians which is, you know, which is unique. Um, and then we've got some Brits. And so, you know, it's a very international city. Um, if you haven't been to Hong Kong, all you listeners out there, um, I, I believe it might have limited time left. So, you know, <laughs> um, the flights are cheap right now. <laughs> um, it's an amazing city and uh, it's still amazing to this day. We are um, uh, huge fans of Hong Kong, um, but it's time to leave. So the second bit there is is um, uh, Hong Kong uh, is a, a difficult place for us to see our company growing, um, uh, and uh, so we are re, you know, we are relocating the headquarters to the U.S. Uh, we've got a U.S. entity and have for the last two years, uh, but um, you know we're reorienting around Chicago. So. Um, uh, that's where Evan's based and where I'm based 50% of the time. Taylor, before we let you go today, I, I just want to say, you know, I've, there's one thing that has come through loud and clear. Um, I've had a number of conversations with both Taylor and his uh, COO, Evan, um, you know, and talking about their, you know, what they're doing at Miro and talking about this process and talking about the combination of AI and computer vision. And I have to say, you know, as entrepreneurs, as, you know, people in the startup world, you know, you truly have the passion, the drive, and, and I think also the natural inquisitiveness and, and the curiosity that I think you need in order to drive this type of effort to success. So I want to, you know, I want to congratulate you. It was a big win last week in Baltimore um, at the end, at the, um, 
Industry Leader Summit for the SFIA. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, Taylor. Well, hey, thank you very much, uh, Bah. And see, I've been waiting to say that. Um, and also the Googs. Uh, so, Mike, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. It's great to be able to share a little bit about what we do. Um, I do, you know, I, I would be remiss to say that the SFIA win is not uh, an absolutely huge milestone for us. And, you know, Tom Cove, who was your first guest yes, on the was. podcast, uh, being able to, uh, you know, embrace him on stage while holding a murder weapon of a trophy was uh, a great experience. I, you know, I would not have uh, expected that when I listened to his interview on your podcast. So thank you guys for having me on. Um, I do want to plug everyone should follow our company, Miro AI, on LinkedIn. We're, we're always releasing cool stuff. Uh, we'll be putting out our next shoe brand report. Um, so Q3 data. Uh, looking pretty interesting for brands like Brooks, who was another one of your guests. Um, uh, so Brooks, uh, Brooks, according to our data, has lost a little bit of market share from Q1 to Q2. Um, so uh, be on the lookout for where the brand moved in the U.S. on Q3. So uh, that, that's about Great. it. Check us out again, Miro AI. I'm Taylor, there. really, Thanks, really Taylor. a pleasure having you on, Neil. You could uh, learn a lesson and how to, uh, to to plug. Uh, that that was really well done. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I want to thank our guest, Taylor Host, our sound engineer, Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. Our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Be sure to rate us so others can find us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.